Good morning, guys. What's happening? If you have your Bible, you can open it to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 um, is where we're going to be this morning, where we're going to draw our, uh, our Scripture from. Uh, as Dave has already mentioned to us this morning, today, this, this day, this morning, was we're together, and then uh, later as we go have lunch together, um, by the way, uh, we're going to be at Helfer's right down the road for lunch. Uh, if you haven't made plans or didn't know about it, that's what uh, we're all invited to come and, and have some lunch together. And we're going to talk about some real practical vision stuff this morning. What I'm going to bring to us is more philosophical and the, the thing that, that paints our direction for 2012. Um, uh, so that's sort of the, the, the vibe of, of where we're going this morning. But there's, there's really there's a lot of stuff that's going to be happening in and around and through the life of North Church in 2012, but two things in particular that we want to bring uh, in front of everybody. And these are really earth-shattering, oh my gosh, I never thought of that sort of ideas. We want to, we want to be about discipleship, and we want to be about prayer in 2012. We are blazing a trail, you know? So you're like, duh, Right? That's what a church is supposed to be about. But there's, I, I want to bring it back in front of us to, to connect with, with the depths of these two things. And that there is a, a philosophy and a mandate of Scripture for us to devote ourselves to those things. And, and really, we'll, we'll unpack discipleship a lot today. And, and I'll talk Again, philosophically about it, and then this afternoon at, at lunch, we'll get a little bit more practical. There will be some practical stuff that's happened, that happens here. But I uh, want to do just a little bit of, of, of groundwork on the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, most scholars believe it's written by Solomon. And Solomon, if you know your, your Bible history, is the wisest man to ever live. And so this book, Ecclesiastes, is sort of his, like, life's work of, okay, I'm the wisest man ever, and, and my life's work has, has brought me to these understandings and these places. And this is, there are several genres of Scripture. There is poetry, there's history, there are the Gospels, there are the Epistles, and there are wisdom literature. This falls into wisdom literature because it's written by Solomon, and it's the compilation of all that he's gathered about wisdom— pouring it into those who would come after him. So when we come at Ecclesiastes, and we're going to, that'll be the, the next long book that, that we work ourselves through, probably get to it in midsummer of 2012, the book of Ecclesiastes, and we'll learn more about the background and stuff there. But for us this morning, understand the wisest man who ever lived, giving us his life filled with wisdom and what it means to live in discipleship and the reasons to live in discipleships and the benefit of living in discipleship. So that sort of forms the, the basis of us for us this morning. Um, so five reasons to be discipled. If you have your Bible, we're gonna, let's just read through the, the Scripture that we'll be talking about this morning, and it's on the screen as well. Um, starting in verse 9 of chapter 4, the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, it says, Two are better than one. By the way, before I continue, there are so many simple little phrases that are just beautiful. And we can, a lot of them this morning, I'll just talk about and say, let's just let that speak to us. Here, the first words that we're reading here are just 
perfect. I can, I can sit and talk about Ecclesiastes for the next 30, 40 minutes or whatever. And, but it's really simple. Two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone. When he falls, he has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. Those kind of form the basis for the five reasons for us to get into this. Um, The first one, two are better than one. Very simply, two working, getting more done than two individuals working alone. Very simply, because this is, this is kind of what I found in, in my, my working in my life and the people that mentor and disciple and, and connect with me is that this is true because we all have blind spots. Places in our life that we can either not see or we can't reach. All right? I'm getting ready to go out on a, a serious limb. I'm going to do something that I haven't a lot of times in a, in a sermon like this, I'll have something set up where somebody knows I'm going to go interact with them and engage them to, to kind of make a point. I haven't done that this morning. So if this falls flat, I'll have to scramble and figure out a way to make it work, okay? But for the last couple of weeks, there's been something that's been, been going on with me. And, uh, well, let me, just, let me just hope this works. Jen, can you help me out here? If I do this to you, what, what have you done in the last couple of weeks? Right there. I've got this, like, for the last two weeks, this spot just, and I'm like, it happens, like, on the way to work when Jen's not around. And so I'm, like, in my car, like, scratching my back, and it just doesn't work. All right? Because, look, I can do all that I can to kind of get to that spot, but I can't ever really get at it. And re- You know when you get a scratch? There's, there, there are levels of scratchdom. <laughs> One is, that'll probably go away, not that big a deal. And 10 is, I got to deal with that right now. You know, you experience the difference. And somewhere, you know, it's on the sliding scale. But this one, like right below my left shoulder blade, pops up four or five times a day. And it's always a 10. Like, you got to deal with this right now. The other day I was driving and the seat just wasn't working. So I, I literally pulled over and scratched my back. But it still doesn't work because I, I can't really get to that. Seriously, you can't get to that spot on your back. With, and, like, um, I've got old man shoulders, and so it just doesn't, like, ow, that hurts. So I have Jen, when she's around, to get in there and get after her, and she's got nails, right? <laughs> Seriously, guys, your wife has nailed when she scratches your back? Wow. Seriously. Um, so we all have these two things. One, we either can't see it, or two, we can't get to it. We can't reach it. We can't scratch it. And two are better than one in this way. Um, so I just, I want, I want to, it's kind of silly and then walking over there and having Jen scratch my back and all those things is, is, is 
you know, whatever. But, but I don't want to miss the, the spiritual principle that is absolutely true. You and I have blind spots in our life. And we need to have somebody that has permission and courage to point out our blind spot. We're walking around this world thinking we got it all figured out. When people around us know good and well, there's, you've got this, you don't see this fact in your life. You don't see the fact of how you're treating your wife. You don't see the fact of what you're saying to your neighbor. You just can't see it. It's not that you're ignoring it. It's that maybe you just can't see it. It's literally a blind spot. Or maybe it's a place you can't reach. Like you know it's there, but there's nothing that you can do to take it away, to change it, to get rid of it. Just like the itch on my back. We all have these blind spots in our lives. And God has provided. This is, I want to kind of remove back and say, God's plan for us for all eternity God decided this is the best way to accomplish this, to let people be in each other's lives and point out each other's blind spots. We all have them. You've got them. And if you think you don't, you're wrong. And this is a call for us, a reason for us to engage in discipleship so that someone can be on the outside looking into our lives, pointing out our blind spots because two are better than one. The second thing comes in verse 10. Because someone is there to pick you up. Let's read verse 10. For they for if they fall, one will lift him up. One will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Um You will fall. You're going to fall. I want to start at the end of this verse. Woe to him who is alone. Woe is a big word. It means a passionate cry of grief or despair. Those who are alone, there is a passionate cry of grief or despair about your state of being alone. Because there's no one there to pick you up. You will fall. Psalm 51.3 For I know my, my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. There's never a time when you will escape your sin. It's always crouching. Woe to him who is alone. Romans 7.18 For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Do you see the simplistic beauty of that? This appears in Romans 7. I've been talking to Charlie, and Charlie's been leading his community group through Romans 7 and 8. And there's some really, really deep stuff. One of the things I said to Charlie about Romans 7, it's something you can spend a year trying to grasp, and you finally get a hold of it, and then you come back to it like a few months later, after you haven't studied in a while, and you're just like, what? Really confusing. Romans 7 is really hard. But Romans 7.13 is really, really simple. 7.18, I'm sorry. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability 
to carry it out. This is why God decided discipleship is a good idea. Because within you, is, you don't have the ability to see your sin, to get rid of your sin, to say no to your flesh and say yes to the Spirit. But God has brought disciples into your life to speak those truths into you. We're going to talk at lunch in, in, me, in just a minute more about some practical things of discipleship and why discipleship. In 2012, we are praying fervently that will be about discipleship, that we begin to, to sprout out roots of discipleship, that three or four people are pouring into us and we're pouring into three or four people and all that stuff. And when I stand here in 2013, 2012 will be a, a year where we have had disciples pouring in and investing into our lives and us flowing that out and into, into the lives of others. That's the hope and prayer and vision for 2012. If you miss the launch, and if you miss the rest of what's going on, that is it. That's what we want to be said of North, if, of North Church for the year 2012. That stuff to happen. And here's the reason why. I don't have, I have the desire to do what's right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. God is investing and pouring people's lives into us through this concept. Isaiah 53, 6. More validity here. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Scripture is filled with evidence that there is sin all around us all the time. For us, maybe it's a sin, maybe it's a struggle, maybe it's a time of dryness. I want to give you permission this morning to experience times of dryness. I'm your pastor, and I experience times of dryness where I, I study the Scripture, and it's just like nothing there. When I, when I seek to pray, when I, I go to my prayer closet, and, I, and it's just I'm, my mind is just not connecting. There are times of dryness in our life. Because of that fact, we need people discipling us. That is a fall. Those times of dryness are a fall where people can come alongside of us and pick us up. There are times of confusion. We go to Scripture and this just doesn't make any sense. Or we go in our lives and the circumstances that are going around us just don't make any sense. Why is this happening? Confusion is a fall. That we need someone there to help pick us up. Doubt. One of the lyrics in the song that we wrote, Steadfast Love, is when my mind doubts, your love remains. Doubt is not bad. When I was in school, growing up in a youth group at, at my church, if ever anybody brought some doubt, everybody was like, what is wrong with him? What's, we can't doubt this. But God is big enough to reinforce our doubt. Doubt is not bad. But when we rest in there, when we stay there, when we, we, we don't push through it, that's a fall. And God brings people around us to lift us up. And then temptation. Guys, especially. Temptation comes. That's a fall. And we need someone around us to lift us up, to hold us up. The third one in verse 11. 
Why discipleship? The reason for discipleship, so that you will not grow cold. Read verse 11 with me. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Again, if two lie together, how can they keep warm? Really simple. For us, Jen and I, as, as we go to bed at night, she's, you know, taking her makeup off, getting ready for bed and all those things, and, and I'm already in bed. And so one of the, she hates getting into a cold bed. And so I go and lay down on her side of the bed and get it warm so she gets in and it's a warm bed. Because we give off this heat. And two together give off more heat. It's really not that difficult. Living alone in the pursuit of Christ can and will leave you cold. It's so simple. And, and here's the thing. Another block for us to engage in discipleship or discipling someone is I don't really know how to do it. How do I disciple somebody? Nobody's ever taught me how to disciple somebody. I don't, nobody's ever really discipled me. How can I disciple? I don't understand this. And we believe that, and that keeps us from discipling people. But I want to tell you that discipleship, discipling someone, is not at all complicated. There's not a seminary class where they have this well-guarded secret and they teach only people who have been in their fourth year of seminary how to disciple people. It's not that big of a deal. Follow Christ and invite somebody to do it with you. That's how you disciple somebody. Is there a passage of Scripture that God has really attacked your heart with? Share that with somebody. That's, you know what that's called? Discipleship. Is there a book that really lit you up? For me, about two years ago, there was a book called Prodigal God by Tim Keller. It lit me up. I walked four guys to it. Four different guys in four different times. Is there a book that God has brought in your life? It's like, man, that's great. Okay, walk with somebody through it. You know what that's called? Discipleship. Is there a passage of Scripture that you just can't get past? Like, I can't, for Charlie, it's a perfect example. We talk about it every week when we're passing bulletins back there. Romans 7 is just so great. I can't stop it. You know what? Share that with somebody. You know what that's called? Discipleship. Is God leaning your heart towards a prayer, a particular prayer for a culture, for an area, for a generation, for a community, for North County, for Missouri, for the whole country, for some tribe in Africa? Share that with somebody. That's called discipleship. It's not complicated. Follow Christ and invite somebody to follow Christ with you. Is there a particular book of the Bible? Jen and I are reading Ephesians. We read Ephesians. We're going to try and, I had a guy tell me a really great thing is to read one book of the Bible 20 times for the year, for 2012. We're reading the book of Ephesians. We read it every night, going to bed. Invite somebody into that. Invite somebody into that. It's not hard. It's not complicated. And here's the other deal with this. When you're discipling somebody, not only is it not hard and not complicated, but it brings life to your own pursuit of the Lord. 
Jen and I kind of feel like God has called us into investing in marriages and having people come over and have dinner with us and then we'll put the kids to bed and then just talk about marriage and talk about life. When we're not doing that, you can sense it in our marriage. When you're not discipling someone actively, you and your pursuit of God suffers. When you are discipling someone, your pursuit of God is invigorated. Disciple somebody. The fourth thing comes in verse 12. Because you have an enemy. Let's read verse 12 together. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Again, we can get lost in trying to exegete a passage and really focus on what something is saying. But this one, on its face, very simple. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. You have an enemy. His name is Satan. Your flesh and the spiritual forces of evil intend to distract you, intend to attack you. When there is someone investing in your life, it's you can withstand that. God designed it. God designed it. The same God with the same creativity and ability to design this planet that put this close to the sun and this far away from the sun and, and how rain comes and then goes and all of that stuff that is perfect about the earth to make us be able to exist, that's the hand and design and crafty work of God. That same designer God designed this as the way for us to exist and be discipled. Very simple. And then the, the last thing for us, verse 13. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. Uh, there's a guy that uh, has been a, a discipler of mine and, and helped me with several things in, in how to plan a church uh, named Jonathan McIntosh. Um, walked through some, some classes with him and some preaching classes with him and just taught me how to, to disciple. He said this, ask five leaders you've interacted with, what would you tell me if you knew I would listen and not defend myself? I'm going to read that again, and then I'm going to read verse 13 again. Ask five leaders you've interacted with, what would you tell me if you knew I would listen and not defend myself? Better was a poor and wise youth than an old foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. When you're not discipling someone, 
when you're not being discipled by someone, you are foolish. Who do you have in your life that can really speak to you, that has express permission? Who do you have in your life that you... Here's the thing. This statement by McIntosh here is not, this is a good idea. This is, actually do this. Actually do this. Find five people. Say to them, what would you say to me if I said to you, I would listen to you and I would not try to defend myself? Do it. Do you have somebody in your life who, that, who you're thinking of right now, I need to go ask this guy, this lady, this question. I need to go do this. Do you have five people? Do you have five leaders in your life? Because here's the thing. If you don't have anybody speaking into your life and you're doing what you feel like is right, what you feel like is, is the direction for your life, and nobody can challenge that, you are God. And that's ridiculous. But ultimately, if you're walking down a path and, no one, and you don't allow anyone to say that's the wrong path, You are God. You decide whatever you want to do. I want to close us this afternoon, this morning. Uh, There's cards that are around you, information cards. Uh, Seriously, don't look at me. Look for one. Uh, They're on most of the seats that you were on. Uh, If you don't have one, there's, there's some in the back too. I want you to take that card. Usually we use those for people to ask for prayer requests or for people to ask for more information about North Church. Uh, but this morning, I want, I want you to, to write on there, I intend to be discipled in 2012. Or I intend to disciple someone in 2012. And get specific if you want to. I intend to go ask this person to disciple me. Or I intend to go ask this person if I can pour in and invest in their life. And sometimes we block ourselves from that. Is That seems like maybe an arrogant thing. If I were to walk up to Joe and say, Hey, Joe, I really feel like God is calling me to disciple you. Don't let that senseless pride keep you from doing what God is calling you to do. Because most of the time, the people that God has placed on your heart to disciple them, God is working in their heart, and they would be thrilled for someone to come to that. So take that card, write that out. I'm not going to say, I will do this or whatever. I want you to deal with God during our response time and ask him what it is that he wants you to write on this card. Is it, I'll be discipled, I'll disciple someone, or if you be very particular about, I'm going to disciple this person, I'm going to ask this person to disciple me, or I'm going to, my vision, my plan is for, to get five guys to invest in my life, or my plan and my vision is to, to gather four or five people together, and we're all going to disciple each other. It doesn't always have to be like some guy sitting on a hill as a mentor and everyone sitting around that person's feet. Five people together can disciple each other. 
two people together can disciple each other. It doesn't have to be a guy with a seminary degree and some kid who wants to to go into ministry. That doesn't have to work that way. Again, it's really simple. Just follow Christ and invite somebody into that process. A book, a scripture, a passage, a prayer, whatever. But this card, write down what God is drawing you to. And that here's the deal. The, our activity of response time is very intentional for us. That we don't pass a plate to you. We don't feed you communion. We don't, none of that stuff. We want you to rise. And we want you to come forward. And we want you to place that in this basket. When we place our money in the basket, it's very intentional that, that we are actively moving and saying to God with not only our money, but with our action of placing our money in that basket is we engage you, God. We sacrifice to you. We come to you and lay this at your feet. The same deal with that card for prayer requests. We are active in coming to you and laying this at your feet in your offering basket. We lay this at your feet. And for now, this discipleship piece I want you to raise and stand up and walk to the basket and put that in there. And say, God, you are calling me to this. I surrender this to you. Would you guide me? Would you help me? Would you lead me to this? And then it's going to come to the three elders. And we're going to be in elder meeting and we're going to pray specifically for you. Sheridan wrote this name down. Let's pray for Sheridan. Kelly wrote this name down for somebody to invest in her life. She's going to go and ask this person to invest in her life. Let's pray for Kelly and this person. That actually will transpire in elder meetings. That's the whole purpose of this. We are gathering together for the vision of 2012 to be a church that makes disciples. Let's pray and I'll allow God to shape and move and direct us. God, we thank you so much for this opportunity for us to gather together to open your scripture, to study your word. You have illuminated for us your design, your plan for our lives. God, now I pray that you would galvanize this voice in our hearts, calling us to disciple and to be discipled. God, galvanize it so we can hold it and know what it is that you're speaking to us, Father, and then motivate us to rise and be active in the proclamation of that, to lay it down at your feet, that, God, you have called me to this. God, because at the end of this, we just want to know you more and better. And this is the path that you've given us. God, we want to remove sin from our lives. We want to replace it with the pureness of you and relationship with you, God. God, that is the end of this. Would you grant it for our souls, God? God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to 
gather together as your body. One body with many parts, with Christ as our head. God, draw us into your presence. Give us conviction to carry out what it is that you're calling us to do, Father. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the gospel. While we were sinners, you sent your son to die for us. It's in his perfect name.